0: Amen. You may be seated. If you would pray with me and then we're going to open God's word. We're actually going to be in Titus 3 that we read just a moment ago, but let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for uh, the day that you have made that we can gather together as your people. We thank you for this place you've provided that we can come together this morning. Uh, We pray that you would just be in and through everything that is done and said and sung this morning. Uh, We pray that as we open your word, that you would be our teacher. Uh, We confess that we cannot do this without you. So we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truths of your word and apply them to our lives, that you would show us what it looks like to follow you more fully, but that we would see clearly what you've already done for us and what you've accomplished on our behalf. And so we just pray that your name would be lifted up, that you would be magnified this morning in our time. Uh, We pray uh, all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, I want to start just by thinking about this question that we, that we probably don't, maybe we don't stop to think about very often, but we talk about, or it happens a lot, I should say, in, in the sense of when we meet someone, I want you to think about how you introduce yourself. Uh, men do this very clearly. I, I think women do it maybe in a little different way, but guys, a lot of times when we meet one another, we say, hey, how you doing? And then the first question a lot of times is, well, what do you do? And I want you to think about how you answer that question or or how you describe yourself. What are the identifiers you put on yourself? Because when you stop to think about the way you say, well, hi, I'm whatever. A lot of times as men. The first thing we'll say is what our vocation is, what our job is. Well, I'm a whatever. And we we immediately start there Or, or maybe some other way in which you describe yourself. I just want you to think for a second what that would be. When you meet somebody, what would you say? Or somebody says, uh, my brother likes to say I was with him this week. Jeremiah likes to say, well, tell me about yourself instead of what do you do? That's what he asked. And so it kind of open ended to let people say, so how would you answer that question? What would you say? What we answer in that tells us a little bit about kind of what's going on in our heart. The things that we see as our primary identifier or identity in our life. We say those things. And so I just want you to think about how you would answer that. And then here's the question I want to ask. Would any of you have answered that question with your missionary? I'm just curious. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. I just want you to think about, is that ever part of what you would say? Or do any of you answer that question with, well, I'm a church planner. I'm looking to plant churches. And that's, that's what I would see my calling is. And that's what I'm seeking to do. Or that's one of your primary identifiers. Or, or just even maybe as a Christian. Hopefully that would work its way in there at some point or how we would identify. And I want you just to think about that a little bit, because what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk a little bit as we've just finished Acts. You see in your bulletin, it's just entitled this morning, Acts 29 and churches that plant churches. Uh, if you want to open your Bible, you can go to Acts 29. Yeah, there, there's no Acts 29. I, I actually talk to people different, at different times and say, well, are, they'll ask, tell me about your church and say, well, we're a part of Acts 29. It's a church planning network. And about half the time people say, well, what does Acts 29 say? And I go, oh, I'm glad you asked, right? It's actually not in the Bible. The idea where the name comes from, the reason it's called Acts 29, the reason we say that is that what we've just seen in the book of Acts is the spread of the gospel to all nations, we said at the very beginning, if you've been with us for eight months, we went through Acts. Acts eight talks about, you know, waiting to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we said that was kind of uh, the outline of the book of Acts. They start in Jerusalem. They wait for the Holy Spirit. And then it spreads out and it goes. And as we finished last week, if you were with us in Acts 28, Paul has made his way to Rome and it says he's there and he's freely presenting the gospel and people are coming to him and that's how it ends. And so Acts 29 came out of this idea of saying that we are now living Acts 29. We are the church that is still going out, still called to make disciples who make disciples, still proclaiming the gospel, still called to go to the ends of the earth and and proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. And so we are living Acts 29. And so when people say, well, what does Acts 29 say? Well, we're living it. We, We are Acts 29. We as the church, remember the church is people. It's you. It's people who have come to faith in Jesus are called to make disciples who make disciples. And so we're to be going out and doing that. And so when I ask the question, do you think of yourself or do you ever identify that way as a missionary or a church planner? I think that's very biblical. We're called to make disciples who make disciples. The church is made up of disciples of Jesus. And as there's healthy multiplication happening, new churches are forming. Believers are gathering together. It's going out. And so we're part of that, whether you think of that as your primary vocation. And it may not be, but we all are part of that in some way or another. We're sent with this message, the good news of what God has done, and we're sent to see disciples made our churches, new churches forming. And so we want to be a church that plants churches. And that's what Acts 29 is. Acts 29 is a network of churches that sees that as together we want to be churches that partner together to plant healthy churches and continue to plant healthy churches because that's what God's called us to do. And so I want us to think about this idea a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about just Acts 29 and why we're part of it. Kind of how and why we became part of it. That'll just be a real short part of what we're talking about. But then what I want us to think about this morning is kind of the core beliefs that Acts 29 holds that we hold as a church. Which goes to kind of the why we've decided to partner with Acts 29. But then I want us to really think about why church planning is so important. Why that should be something that we as a church say yes we're about church planning. We want to be church planners and we want to be missionaries and we want to be sent. And part of that's because we're living Acts 29 and we should see what we're doing right now. and What God's doing in our midst is a continuation of the book of Acts. That God is still working and he's still planning new churches and he's still spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we're called to do that until he returns. So let's just think about this big picture together for just a second. If you're not aware, uh, we do this in our new member class. We do it at different times. Maybe you've heard this recently if you went through a new member class or not. But how and why we became uh, connected with Acts 29. And so the history of this church is this is a non-denominational church that goes back quite a ways of being. We're almost our 25th year as planted as a non-denominational church. And so when I started as pastor, one of the things that I asked and the elders agreed with was let's pursue a greater affiliation than just ourselves. Nothing wrong with being a non-denominational church. Nothing wrong with being an autonomous non-denominational church. But we wanted to be part of a greater uh, organization. And so Acts 29 kind of fit that bill. We've got uh, churches that are are holding to the things that we hold most dear. We align with them doctrinally. We believe in this wanting to see healthy churches planted, seeing the gospel go out, making disciples. All of those things are, are important to the organization of Acts 29. And so we decided to go through that process about it's been about five years ago. And so we went through an assessment process. Acts 29 is usually assessing and and coming alongside new church plants. And so we were a little different as an existing church that wanted to see churches planted. And so we decided to go through that. And then we became part of Acts 29 after that. And then we've, we've, uh, those of you that know Chris song, I'll talk about him in a minute that was here. He's gone on to plant another church. And so we've already helped to establish one church plant. And we want to see many more doing that. So that's kind of why we linked up with Acts 29. Not only that, it gives us an affiliation with churches that are like-minded, that hold to the same things we do doctrinally. Uh, the core values that we have align very much with Acts 29. And so it gives Luke and I and our elders just an a, a immediate connection with some churches in the area. Uh, I think there's about 25, Acts 29 churches in Georgia. And so we've got these connections with these other churches that are almost right in line with everything in the way that we're seeking to do it and the, the way we see those things. And so it's great for us in that way. Acts 29 has grown to be about 650 churches throughout Uh, the whole world. It's not just an American thing. It started in Washington, but it's since grown uh, to great numbers in that way. But what it's done is it's just given us uh, that greater affiliation with some churches outside of just ourselves. Uh, When we're not sure how to plant a church or what the next step is, we're always thinking that way. But as we give money towards Acts 29, that's going to help church plant. So it's a way for us to be financially Invested in wanting to see churches planted, so that 's just a real brief overview of how how and why we decided to get connected with acts twenty nine but what I really want us to do is spend our time in the word of thinking about the core values that it has that we share with acts twenty nine and so we 're going to look at that passage in Titus if you want to turn there with me in Titus chapter three again I think it was, it was uh, I already forgot six forty seven and then five eighty if you have one of the one of the books that's that's the solid color. But we'll come back to that in just a second in Titus three. But when we think about the the core values of Acts twenty nine, the first one and the most important that we absolutely share. If you go to our website, it says it right on the front thing is this idea of being of a gospel centrality of all things. Right, That's the number one kind of core thing that Acts 29 holds that we hold as well as a church. We want to be gospel-centered in everything. And and what we mean by that is is we have to think about what the gospel is. Uh, The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. That despite the fact that we have rebelled against God, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we've turned our back on Him. We've decided at different times, every single one of us, Uh, often on a daily basis to seek our purpose, our meaning, our joy, our lives apart from God. That's what the original sin was, God says, trust me and Adam and Eve say, no, I think we can do this on our own. And we do the same thing every day. We decide that we can uh, find happiness or joy outside of our relationship with God. And we go and look for it in all these different ways, but we can never find it. We'll never find what we were created for and made for apart from God. And so every single one of us has sinned and turned away from God. And so God enters into time and space into G in Jesus and the person of Jesus as God becomes flesh. What we're about to celebrate in the Advent season coming up and he comes and God doesn't come to just show us a way this is where Christianity verges from everything else. He doesn't come and say, here's some things you can follow and some things you can do. And if you do them well, you can earn your way back into God's good graces because that would not be good news. That would be a burden that none of us could withstand or ever accomplish. But the good news is that God has come to do what we haven't done. He's come to bring us back into that relationship with him through what Jesus does on our behalf. And so the gospel is that God has stepped into time and space and he's lived the life. Jesus has lived the life that we haven't lived and he dies the death that we deserve. And then he gives us the benefits of his perfect life, his atoning death. And then through his resurrection, it shows that God is pleased with his sacrifice. It has been accepted that it is good. And so now we can enter into that relationship with God through what Jesus has done. And the good news is God has done every bit of it, and it is by grace through faith that we get to accept the gift that God has given us, and we are in perfect communion with God. You are loved and accepted completely and totally, not by what you do, but what Jesus has done for you, and that is good news. That's the gospel. That he's going to renew not just us as he's remaking us from one degree of glory to another as the Holy Spirit comes into our life, which is Titus 3 says by the washing of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, he's remaking us. But he's going to redeem all of creation. All of it is going to be set right. And so when we proclaim the gospel and we come back to that, what we say and what we believe, what Acts 29 holds to it and what we hold to as a church is that the gospel has to be the very center of everything that we are and that we do. If we get this wrong, we don't proclaim Jesus. We don't magnify who God is. In fact, we do the very opposite if we get the gospel wrong. And so gospel centrality in everything is of the utmost importance. If if we of a church decide to adopt that this is what a good Christian does and this is what it looks like and this is how God is pleased with you. And we preach that and we teach here's the rules and the regulations and here's what you do for God to be pleased with you. That does not magnify the person and work of Jesus and what he's done. It makes it all about you trying to attain something that you can never attain, which is not good news But it also leads to a legalism and a burden and a weight that you can never attain or do. And so we have to hold to the gospel in all things. Because if we miss that, it quickly becomes distorted and we're misrepresenting who God is. And so we believe and we hold the gospel centrality in everything. The gospel has to be the center of what God has done for us. But then the second marker, or the second kind of heading over it that Acts 29 holds that we agree with is that we want to be growing in holiness and humility, holiness and humility. And I want you to think about what those two mean. And I want you to see how they're so connected with the gospel. See, all of these build on the foundation of the gospel being central in all things. If we miss that, then everything else falls apart. Right, humility and understanding that you are saved completely and totally by the grace of God. God didn't choose you. You didn't come to faith. You didn't suddenly open your eyes and see who Jesus is because you're a pretty good person. Sometimes we fall into believing that I was pretty good. I wasn't that bad. I came up in a good home. I was in church all my life. And so God didn't have to work that hard to save me. Now, we may not say it that way. We probably wouldn't articulate it that way, but we can slip into kind of believing that. I'm a Christian because I was pretty good. And that's a distortion of being saved by grace and grace alone. You are saved because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. And that's radically humbling in a good way. It makes us understand very quickly that it's all God's doing, it's all God's grace. He's the one that has has opened your eyes to see him and brought you into the saving relationship with him. It is by his grace that you're saved. Look at just what we read here in Titus chapter three. Pick up with me in verse three. This is so important when we begin to talk about humility in our life. Quickly, we can we can say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm not like those people. You ever start to feel that? Start to kind of walk and you're seeking to obey God and you're seeking to do the things he's called you to. And quickly you can start to slide into, well, I'm not like those people. But look at what it says. Verse three, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It's not a pretty description, but it's accurate apart from God what our days look like. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see how he says he didn't save you. He didn't save you because you were a pretty good person. He didn't save you because you had a certain amount of good works and he went, OK, that's a good person. I'll go ahead and save them. Right. He just gave you the description of what we look like apart from God. He says, no, it was because of God's mercy. Completely and totally because of his mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, God invades your life in the spirit and he opens your eyes to see who he is and he saves you by his mercy. It's the heart of the gospel. And it's humbling when we start to believe or we start to slip in, hey, look at me and look at what I've done. And we go back to God's word and we go, no, no, that's not how it works. You were running away from God, but God invaded your life and brought you back to him and he opened your eyes. It's by his mercy that he saves you. And then it says he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Grace just means undeserved merit. Because of God's mercy, he's given you what you didn't deserve and he's brought you into a saving relationship with him. That should be radically humbling to each and every one of us. When we start to go, oh, I can't believe those people would do that. Those people, whoever those people are, are you but the grace of God in your life. Do you see how humbling that is? And whenever we start to stray from that humility of it's all God's grace by what He's done for us, we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to come back to a gospel centrality in our life that humbles us over and over again. And we stay in a a state of just overwhelming awe of who God is and that He would save me. Then and only then do we then begin to Share the gospel and the truth of what it is. It's not me. It's not that I figured this out. It's that God is good and he is gracious and he has given us his mercy. And so we want to be growing in humility, but we also want to be growing in holiness. Holiness means to be set apart, to be different. And when we understand the heart of the gospel, that you are saved completely and totally by God's mercy. By his grace in your life, you are bought by what Jesus has done for you. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. And when we see that, we are set apart to him and we are now to live our lives as unto him because they are his. It is by his grace he saved us, but we are now his and he's remaking us. And so we seek to live our lives set apart to him. And so we want to be growing in that holiness and the humility and both of those go together, but both of those, if we get to one side or the other without the gospel holding them together, we get an error quickly. If we become all about holiness and being set apart and look at me and look at what I'm doing and we forget the humility that it's all Jesus and it's all God's work in our life, we can quickly become prideful. We can quickly go, look at how good I am. But the same is true if we go to the humility and woe is me and I'm a sinner and I'm so bad and all those things. And we don't understand that God has saved us and he loves us. We can quickly go to another air. And so we want to be growing in holiness and humility with the gospel central to everything. And so we say gospel centrality in all of life, growing in holiness and humility. But then the third thing is, is we say that God is sovereign to save sinners And so we are to be prayerful toward conversion, relying on the Holy Spirit. God is sovereign to save sinners. So we need to be prayerful towards conversion and relying on the Holy Spirit. Again, look at what it says in Titus 3. How were you saved? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You were saved by God's grace of the Holy Spirit invading your life. So how should we see conversion happening? By prayerfully believing that God's going to do the work dependent on the Holy Spirit moving. And so one of the marks of Acts 29 is to say that God is sovereign to save sinners, but we are going to be prayerfully begging and petitioning the Lord that we would see conversions and then relying on the work of the Holy Spirit, because that's the way it happens. But I want you to think about why this is such good news when we believe that and we hold to that. You can't save anyone. That's good news. Right, because if it was on us, we'd be in trouble. God calls us to speak the truth of his word. Everything we've been saying in Acts, go make disciples, go proclaim the good news. Uh, Paul will say in, in Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so as we proclaim God's word, people come to faith and we are called to be part of that. And we are called to do that with our lives and our words. And we're to speak the truth of who God is. But knowing all along that God is sovereign and he is the one that saves people. And the Holy Spirit moves and opens their eyes and God does the work. Do you see why that's such good news? One, it means no one is beyond God's reach. I mean, look at the description there in Titus 3. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, malice, envy, hatred. He gives a pretty awful descriptor there. But that's the people that Paul was dealing with on the island of Crete, where this church is, where he writes to Titus. It's what they were like. And they got saved. And he tells you exactly how they got saved, because God's grace invaded their lives and the spirit opened their eyes to see who Jesus was. And so when we hold to that, God is sovereign to save sinners. No one, you know, no matter how far they seem to be away, is beyond God's reach. But know that you can't do it. You can't make them believe. There's no magic order of words that you can muster up in yourself. Or I have the greatest apologetic and now I'm going to argue them into faith. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit has to move in their lives to open their eyes to see it. So that means we should be prayerful towards conversion. We beg the Lord that we would see him open people's eyes for them to come to faith. But it also should be greatly encouraging that no matter who you're praying for, they're not beyond God's reach. And so we continue to trust him. and We continue to seek that we would see many conversions. And so I love that about the Acts 29 network. I long for that for our church, that we'd be a people that is begging God to see conversion. That we'd see new people coming in. Pray that this year we're about to turn another year. Turn the calendar here in a month that we would see tons of new people come to faith, that we would see the goodness of God and his mercy and the Holy Spirit moving as he is sovereign over that. And we'd be dependent on him, watching him move to see people come to faith. And so we say gospel centrality in all things, holiness and humility growing in that, seeing God as sovereign, prayerfully begging him for conversions, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit. But then one of the marks recently that Acts 29 has begun to talk about, and I love this about Acts 29, is that we'd be a globally diverse network. And I want you to think about how that aligns with everything that we've been talking about in Acts. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. God's plan for his people, for his church, we see it all the way through scripture, is to have people from every tribe, tongue, nation, skin color, culture, all of it. And he's going to bring us together in a unity that is found in Jesus. All of us created equally in God's image and we are brought back into that relationship with him, with Jesus, our king. Isaiah points that beautiful picture. We're going to come together on His holy mountain and every nation is going to flood together at the wedding feast of the lamb. And we're going to praise God together. And so we want to be churches that are planning churches, but that we are globally diverse people from every color, every culture, every nation. It's a good reminder for us. We can get caught up in our own world and think the the center of the church is right here where we live. And that's just not true. We have brothers and sisters in faith over the face of this planet. Some are meeting today to worship in in huts and tents and dancing and playing drums and doing whatever it is and whatever it looks like. And they're all worshiping the same Jesus that we worship. And so I love that when I've gotten to go a couple times to our global gatherings for Acts 29, and I meet church planners in Africa or in Scotland. Uh, Joanna and I met the guy that was the, the, the head over all of, of Europe, and he lived in France. And I was like, this is so cool. And he was telling us what Jesus is doing in France and where God's moving, and we're seeing that. And so we want to be a church that's praying for conversions here locally, but also globally seeing God move and bringing together his unity in the church. And so we're called to be that globally diverse because that's God's plan. And we're going to see the fulfillment when Jesus returns of every tribe, tongue and nation coming together. And so we want to be gospel central in everything growing in holiness and humility, praying for conversions, trusting God to do that work globally diverse. But then this is where I want us to end and just think practically together Acts 29 believes and we believe as a church that the local church is the primary missionary strategy that God has devised. That he brings people in making disciples who make disciples through the local church. And we are called to plant churches that plant churches. To be growing and making disciples, healthy discipleship is healthy multiplication. Disciples make disciples. Disciples. And if we are the church, God invades our life and the Holy Spirit. He brings us into the saving relationship. We are the church. As people are being discipled and coming to faith and we're seeing conversions and they're growing, new churches are going to be planted. And that should be an aspiration that we have. And we should be seeking to do that. And I want to give you just a couple practical ways to think about that. Sometimes we talk about planting churches. I say this in our new member class. Some of you have been here for a long time, so maybe you haven't been in the new member class. Some of you are members before I was here, so I'm pretty sure you weren't in the new member class with me. But in our new member class, we talk about the idea of wanting to see churches planted, healthy multiplication. Rather than the, the desire to see this one local body grow to be a giant church, we want to see lots and lots of churches planted. About four years ago, Chris Fogelsong left here to go plant in Jasper. And one of the questions I had, and it was a good question. This is a good thing. People would come and ask me, why are you letting him leave? And it was from a good heart. It was from a place of we love Chris and we love Claire and we loved his family. And people go, why are you letting him leave? And we had about 10 people that were coming regularly and worshiping with us that lived over in the Jasper area. And they were going to leave and go with them. And it was like, well, wait a second. We're losing some members and we're losing uh, an associate pastor and his family. And they've done all these things. Why would we do that? To think of the church as a family. A healthy family raises up children and then they move out. And they go out and they begin to be productive members of society. And then they have their own families. And healthy multiplication occurs. And so what I've seen God do in Chris going to plant a church is there's now a vibrant gospel centered church. That's growing in holiness and humility and trusting God for for uh, conversions and all the things that we're talking about. And Jasper now that wasn't there before. And God is drawing people to himself through that body and he's raising up new leaders in that body. There's new elders and new people that weren't or may not have been in the way that they are if that church had never been planted. But Chris and Claire saw a need and God called them to it and they were obedient to do it. And that is a good thing. Sometimes we go, but we'll miss them. Yeah, we'll miss them. But you know what? Jesus is worth it. That healthy multiplication would occur and we would continue to push out to make disciples that make disciples to plant churches that plant churches. That's a good thing. Mark Manning that was here uh, right before Chris or overlapped with Chris left this church to go full time with Campus Crusade. That's a good thing. He wanted to go and minister to college students and care for them. And you go, that's an awesome thing that God's doing that. And we want to continue to see that happening. We want to plant churches that plant churches and so sometimes when that comes up, people think you're crazy when you tell them that. Well, we'd rather plan a lot of churches than just have one big one. They go, what? well, there's a lot of practical reasons why. If you've never thought about that. But it's actually very one. I think it's God's plan that you see in Acts. Paul goes from town to town. He, he preaches the gospel. People come to faith. He encourages them. He builds them up. He helps put elders in place and he moves on. And he does it again. And then they do the same thing. We've seen overlapping those circles kind of going out in acts over and over. It's the way God does it. Healthy multiplication occurring. But maybe you haven't thought about it before. When Chris and Claire left, it left a void here. Claire did a ton of stuff with our children's ministry. Chris was involved in this church in all sorts of ways. And as soon as they left, guess what happened? Other people stepped up and started to fill those voids. New people started to step into leadership roles that weren't before. And then they went off and they started to bring new people up that helped to be leaders in that church. And so God uses that as, as healthy multiplication occurs. It presents new opportunities for other people to step up into that. But there's also a lot of research that says we will reach more people with more healthy churches than one or two really big ones. If you have ever considered this before. But there's a bunch of research that would say this. This is real interesting. Instead of just continuing to try to strengthen a few churches, what the statistics say is if you have a church for every 10,000 people, about 1% of the population will be connected to that church, right? So one church for every 10,000 people, about 1% will be connected to that church. If you have a church for every thousand people, about 20% of the population will be connected to a church. If you have a church for every 500 people, it's over 40% that will now be connected to those churches. So I want you to think about what that means. The more healthy gospel central churches we have, the more people we will reach. And there's a lot of practical reasons for that. Uh, We helped to plant a church here that was meeting in our building for a while. Those of you that remember T.J. Stewart and his church, they're actually down the road just a little ways in North Forsyth now. But TJ is reaching a group of people that we wouldn't reach. He's holding to the gospel and we are absolutely with him on the central things that we hold to. But their church may look a little different than our church and they're reaching different people. And that is a good thing. Our goal is not uh, some competition, but it's to see that God would be glorified in all of those. And we want to see healthy churches planted. When that happens, I want you to think about this. The more we plant churches and new churches come up, there's more opportunities for leadership. There's more opportunities for people to grow into that. And it kind of shrinks the opportunity to just sneak in the back and not be part. We were not made to be consumers. We were made to be disciples. And so as we plant churches, we see more people growing into those roles and we see more people being reached through it. And I think the reason is real simple. It's because of the way God designed it. And so we want to be a church that continues to plant churches. And so as we end, I just want you to think about this. We talk here about missional community groups being part of a smaller group of people that meets together during the week. We want to be on mission together to our neighborhoods, our friends, inviting people into that prayerfully considering that we'd see conversions even through our smaller missional community groups, inviting people into that. But I would encourage you, invite you, one, to get involved, to get plugged in in that way. It's a great way to be involved in the church. But then I would ask that you would begin to pray, which of our missional community groups are going to be a church one day of their own? I actually want to see that happen. I want to see our missional community groups multiply to the place that we go, you know what, these three groups all meet up the road. There's no reason for them to come down here. Let's start a church right there and that God would raise up leaders into those smaller churches and then we would begin to plant new churches. That's our vision here. We want to see many churches planted out of Church of the Apostles so that we could reach more people for the glory of God as we seek to make disciples who make disciples. And so I would ask you to pray. How are you a church planter? How are you a missionary? How is God going to use you in that? doesn't mean you're going to be the one who goes and is the pastor of a church and planning, but maybe you'll be part of a core team that goes and does that. Or or maybe you are the one that's going to be the church planner or the pastor in one of those. And would you pray and ask that if that's what God has for you, that he would show you that? Because we want to come alongside and encourage you to do that. We want to see many churches planted right here out of Church of the Apostles. I would love nothing more than 20 years from now to look at all the churches we've planted all over North Georgia. And all the people that have been reached by us doing that for God's glory. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel that we have much uh, to be thankful for. We thank you that uh, you are worth Uh, Our efforts and our energy and our time to go and make disciples, I pray that we would see that as our primary identity, resting in what you've done for us, but that we get to be part of what you're doing. And so I just pray that you'd continue to push us in that area. Lord, we pray that you would prepare hearts, that you'd go before us, that you'd prepare the place. I pray that you'd make it abundantly clear to you where the next church that we would be part of planning would be. I pray that if there's some here today that you're calling to go into that, that you would begin to plant those seeds, to to encourage them. Give us wisdom to help discern who that is and what that looks like, but also to help equip them for that work. And we just pray that we would see uh, the gospel continue to spread just like we've seen throughout the book of Acts that we truly would be living the next chapter of Acts, that we would be seeking to plant churches that plant churches that make disciples, that make disciples all for your glory. Uh, We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.